0: In the podcast, Nice White Parents, reporter Hanna Jaffe-Walt, you may know her from This American Life, started looking into this one school in her neighborhood after her kids became school age in New York City. Hannah examines this public middle school, traditionally filled with black and brown students, after a number of white families arrived. And then, not satisfied she fully understood what she was seeing, she went all the way back to the family of the school in the 1960s, and then up to the present day again. Eventually, Hannah realized she could put a name to what was getting in the way of making the school better all these years. White Parents, Nice White Parents, is a fascinating listen that's deeply relevant today. It's made by Serial Productions, a New York Times company, same people who made the hit podcast Serial and S-Town. All episodes are now available wherever you do get your podcasts. Hi, and welcome to 2020 Politics War Room with James Carville. I'm Al Hunt. We're proud partners with the Sign Institute, American University. We can't wait to get back. This is clearly a very big week, a marquee week. So you got to have James. If you have a marquee week, you got to have a marquee guest, and we do. But first, I want to thank all of our listeners uh, and subscribers on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, and every place else. Now to our marquee guest. You know, James, if Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are the people of the hour, our guest is the keeper of that clock. Hal Swipp, Jim Clyburn of South Carolina, more than the late Mayor Daly, Jim Farley, or Mark Hanna, he's the kingmaker, whose February endorsement paved the way for Joe Biden's coronation this week. You can look at the race in two ways, B.C. before Clyburn and A.C. after Clyburn. Congressman, we are honored to have you join us in an incredibly busy week. Thank you. Well, thank you
1: very much for having me. I don't know about that cane maker stuff, but uh, I am uh, hopeful we can bring this home. As James Carville was said, I hope we can uh, stick the landing.
0: Well, <laughs> well, you you certainly start. Let me let me before we get to politics, let me or, uh, presidential politics. Let me let me start with a couple critical legislative questions. On Saturday, uh, you're the House Whip. Uh, On Saturday, the House is going to pass a big postal bill aimed at stopping the Trump administration's efforts from impeding any mail voting this fall. I'm sure you have the votes to pass it. Are you going to get any Republican support, and can you back Trump down on this?
1: I don't know if we'll get any Republican support on it, but I I sure hope we do. Uh, I know that there is Republican support for it here in South Carolina. I've heard from some of them them already today, uh, wanting to make sure that we have uh, enhanced ballot boxes uh, in addition to uh, in-person voting, much like they do in Colorado. So I think that the whole concept is catching on. Uh, I just got off the phone with my staff up there, uh, trying to make sure uh, that the language we Have in this bill will let states know uh, that they ought to keep in mind social distancing when they start talking about uh, early voting or absentee voting uh, so that we can put monies in there to assist states uh, with the added expense of having more poor workers uh, working earlier and more days rather than election day. I think we need to declare uh, for all practical purposes, if not Uh, By uh, legislation, October to be uh, election month uh, to run up to election day. So we got to do this. I mean, we ought not have people putting themselves uh, at risk uh, just to vote.
0: Congressman, a lot of the talk about the postal bill is about money, but is it the most important part, the most important element, to stop the Postal Service from cutting back on essential services, overtime pay? Uh, a hiring freeze, stop them from doing that. You need more people with the avalanche of mail voting. Treating ballot applications uh, as they have in the past is first class to get priority. Mail trucks going out when they're full. Uh, Isn't that really the important stuff that sometimes gets overlooked in this?
1: Absolutely, and that's going to be in this bill. Uh, This whole stuff uh, about uh, having uh, less than first class mail for voting uh, is just not uh, what uh, we ought to be doing. I think that we ought to recognize the fact uh, that this, um, the post office uh, is embedded in our constitution. Uh, The post office is a critical part of almost any community. I call it the thread uh, that has held uh, the fabric of our nation together. Uh, That's what makes us one. The Post Office, more than anything else that I could think of, uh, has been the element, uh, institution, if you will, in these rural communities uh, that have kept them connected uh, to the rest of the world. And so we shouldn't violate that in any way.
0: Congressman, do do you trust the new Postmaster General DeJoy to abide by uh, any of those elements that you pass? In the face of pressure from the White House,
1: absolutely not. No, I don't, and that's why I think we need to make it clear in this language uh, that anything to the contrary uh, will lead uh, to him uh, being hauled before the Congress and hopefully uh, dealt with uh, as if as if he's any other criminal breaking the law.
0: James Carville.
2: Well, Congressman, all politics is local. Let's talk a little bit about South Carolina and the cook report just moved south carolina senate, senate race the democrat jamie harrison against incumbent republican lindsey graham from uh likely republican to lean republican Do, does that reflect what you're seeing and feeling on the ground in south carolina
1: absolutely it does uh, except that i am I'm, I'm getting to the point where i i think i'll call this thing a toss-up i know that means right. thinking about my protege but Uh, In my mind, it's a toss-up. I think Jimmy can pull this off. Uh, He has run a great campaign. I've never seen a a campaign run the way this one has been run, Uh, not in South Carolina. He's doing an outstanding job. He's raising uh, the money that uh, nobody expected him to raise. He is polling well. He's defined himself uh, in a way that most South Carolinians, even the ones we don't plan to vote for him, but just admire the way he's conducting himself in this campaign, and he's winning over uh, independence. Uh, he's beaten in the in uh, uh, Lindsey in the independence by ten points. So I, if he holds that, he's going to win.
2: Wow! And and how's my uh, my friend Joe Cunningham in the first district, that coastal district, uh, you know, butts a lot of your district too. Is he doing, How's he doing? Because I'm sure he's a big target for the Republicans.
1: I think Joe's going to be fine. Uh, He has uh, sort of a a celebrity uh, as his opponent, Uh, the young lady who has the Republican nomination was the first woman to graduate uh, from the Citadel. Uh, She's not the first to attend, but she was the first to graduate, Uh, and uh, that uh, has made her somewhat of a celebrity. Uh, But uh, I think Joe is running a solid campaign, and I think he's going to get reelected. You know one
2: of the things because I've been in southern politics not quite as long as you, but almost, and one of the problems that we have is is we have able we have Democrats up, up across the south of the country, we have a very good turnout ratio with older African Americans. We have traditionally lagged behind with younger. Do you do you see activity or signs that that is going to change, and we can get more younger people, uh, particularly more younger people of color, to vote in this election than we traditionally do?
1: I think so, and I think a lot of it has to do uh, with people uh, being able to see folks who look like them involved in this process, not just as candidates, uh, but uh, as talking heads, etc. Uh, when you see Uh, people in your age group uh, on the television set talking uh, about uh, politics and and voting, and you see that they've got the kind of experiences. A lot of these people are being seen for the first time this year. A lot of young people who were involved in the uh, Obama administration, uh, I'm talking about people of color, Uh, it was unknown. Uh, and people didn't know. Uh, they now see them, and they identify with them. And I think they're bringing a lot of young people into this. I think that's what's happening with Jamie. Uh, when Jamie came back here to run the Democratic Party, he spent 40 years as our chair. He developed a group of young people, recruiting 40 to 60 every year. He did it? He's in his fifth year, and so many of those young people are now in the state legislature. A lot of them on city councils and school boards all over South Carolina. And of course, you know, Jimmy being who he is, came to me with the idea. I told him I thought it was a great idea. He came back a little while later and told me, he said, well, now I'm getting ready to do this thing. And I'm gonna call him Clyburn Fellows. I thought he was doing me a big favor. I said, well, that's great, Jimmy. Thanks for honoring me. He said, I need $50,000 to get started. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, he's done it well. And I still support it. I still support it. Congressman, uh, let's
0: let's go to this convention, this virtual convention. But let me start with Kamala Harris. Uh, talk about the Harris factor uh, in this election. And you can tell us now: was she your first, second, or third choice?
1: Uh, all of the above. <laughs> Boy, I can
0: see why no, you're so successful.
1: Look, <laughs> look I uh, I never told uh, Joe uh, that I had any one choice. I. We talked about 10 or 12 people that he had in mind. And uh, we talked about pluses and the minuses and talked about applying the head and the heart. And I said to him, uh, what I want you to do is let the vetting take place, let the polling take place. And when they come back with their results, you apply your head and your heart. And quite frankly, uh, this thing went all the way down. Uh, to the end, and then he had, there were three people still in his mind right up to near the end. And, and then I said, the last thing I said to him, I said, well, don't let your heart get in the way of your head. And that's the way we left it. And so this is what he uh, decided to do, uh, and I think he made the right choice. Uh, she's an excellent candidate. She's acquitted herself very well. Uh, during the campaign uh, for for president, and she's been elected statewide in California. And she's a great debater. Is what you need uh, to complement the ticket. She has the passion uh, that uh, Joe Biden uh, has the compassion, and I think they're going to make a great team.
0: Congressman, there has been ever since your endorsement almost the, <clears throat> the schisms in the party have certainly been lessened but there's still some griping from the left. I saw today a bunch of left-wingers were complaining that uh, your colleague AOC only got one minute to talk uh, at the convention. Does, does that worry you any?
1: Well, I would say to them, I only got three. <laughs> <laughs> and you're <laughs> the whip. Yeah, I'm the majority whip. I think that uh, I'm that for the second time. I'm 80 years old. Uh, been in this business for a long time and I've, I've got a lot of but to me um, I would rather have three quality minutes uh, than 20 uh, minutes uh, filibustering. so I just think that um, you know, that should not uh, determine the quality. I heard her speech last night I thought it was a great speech uh, and I thought it was more than one minute uh, she shouldn't have said it a whole lot. Uh, in the time she had. And I thought it was a great speech. I liked it a whole lot.
0: Sir, you've been to other democratic conventions. The pandemic forced this to be different, to be virtual. Are we ever going to get back to real in-person conventions? Should we? And if so, how should they be reshaped?
1: Well, I think we'll probably get back to in-person conventions, but I think it will be much different than what we've had in the past. Because the, the conventions in the past grew into being uh, one big festive occasion. Now, it's great uh, to have festive occasions, but I, can, I think you can do it uh, with much less uh, of the, um, uh, let's just say, of the expenses that have been involved in the past. I think uh, the way we're doing this this year uh, will redefine how we do conventions going forward. And uh, maybe uh, we can have uh, things done in two parts uh, and meet for a weekend uh, rather than having stretching out a whole week. Uh, And that's just got to be too expensive.
2: So, Congressman, I I know something about you. I want to talk about a personal thing. That, that you have a, a daughter that is a Ph.D. It's very active. Could you tell our subscribers, our listeners, a little bit about, about your daughter? Because I think it's a great story.
1: Well, uh, Jennifer is an outstanding uh, person who uh, decided when she graduated college, uh, or when she graduated from high school, really, uh, she told me she wanted to major in political science. Uh, so Jen doing and math, and I said, "The rest of Wait a minute." Uh, I don't think that's anything you want to major in. Uh, You can't do much with that. Uh, You know, if you're interested in politics, you you better learn the art of it. Uh, But she insisted and she went on to college, got a degree in political science. Then she came to me uh, and said, "Uh, I think I want to go to graduate school. And um, I had already paid for four years of college. I said, look, I don't know about this graduate school business, you could be on your own. I told you not to major in political science in the first place. I said, what are you trying to get a degree yet?" She said, I want a master's degree in teaching. I pulled out my credit card and gave it to her. And she went on, I got a master's degree in teaching, she went on, I got a doctorate. She spent 25 years in the classroom. Uh, after 25 years, she went to the University of South Carolina as an uh, administrator, and she's now retired and working full-time. Uh, in this campaign, running my campaign. and A lot of people think that um, that she ought to be uh, where I am and I ought to be where she is. So we'll see what happens in the future. So I got
2: some tough questions for you now. What do you like better, yellow peaches or white peaches?
1: Well, let me tell you, I like South Carolina peaches. (laughs) South Carolina peaches. I give peaches to my colleagues on the Hill uh, every year. Uh, And we just did that about three weeks ago. And one year, uh, about four or five years ago, I was giving out the peaches. And John Lewis came up to me. He said, Man, uh, those are great peaches. Thank you very much. I said, well, John, you do know that those peaches did not come from Georgia. He said, Yeah, we got the name, but y'all got the peaches. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> we give them out, and people love to, to talk the Sacramento peaches. They're, they're much better than Georgia peaches. They ought to give up their name.
2: I know you were in New Orleans for the LSU-Clemson game. But when (laughs) the Gamecocks play the Tigers, uh, I'll be tough here, but which way you leaned?
1: Well, uh, every inch of the University of South Carolina is in my district. I'm a great friend with the president up there at Clemson. I send students up there. I just gave out 175 scholarships uh, this year. About 10 of them went to Clemson University. uh, And the president called me uh, to tell me, uh, President Clemens of the of Clemson, we are great friends. Uh, but I got to go with my constituents uh, when the game is on. Uh, but this past year I was really toned because you know uh, I, um, Clemson had a chance to win the championship, uh, but y'all had a quarterback down there at LSU. all went down to that game and I found myself toned with him. I wanted to see him do well, but you know I'm going to win the game. So that's the kind of uh, Thing I go through every time Clemson the Carolina play I I have splits on my staff, uh, but it all depends what year it is as to who I uh, favor the most and all depends who got the best chance of winning the championship.
0: Oh, thank you so much, sir. <laughs> Before we let you go, you've been so kind with your time. Just one more question about this legislative uh, battle over the next month about the relief. Uh, state and local governments are going broke. Uh, are you going to be, I mean, Trump's resisting, but are you going to be able to provide the kind of assistance they need for voting and other things?
1: Well, uh, that's one of the things I was talking to staff about today because I think we've got to uh, at least support state governments uh, in helping them to make it easier for people to vote, especially in, in this pandemic year that we are operating in. Uh, but we have put everything that's needed in the Heroes Act. I think that the public has got a way in now uh, because Mr. McConnell has decided he's not gonna bring anything to the floor unless the president agrees to it. Uh, so I do believe that that ought to be an issue in this campaign. If they don't do what right by state and local governments, I think it's time for those state and local governments uh, to get actively involved in this campaign this fall. Uh, that, to me, is a part of what this campaign is all about. Uh, the whole fabric of our nation it uh, could very well get shredded to pieces uh, after this election if we are not careful. And so I'm hopeful that all uh, these state and local people get involved in this campaign this year. Uh, they ought to get involved in the funding effort now. When we get back up there in September, they ought to come on the, uh, to the Capitol and insist that that bill get voted on. because uh, They need about a trillion dollars. Uh, These local communities are not going to be able to function if they have to close down or lay off employees and close down governments. School boards are going to find themselves in dire consequences because so many of them are dependent upon state and local governments to function. So I I just hope we just uh, do right or uh, they should get involved in a campaign and make it the issue.
0: James, final sure. thoughts with our guest. My final thought is,
2: just as a New Orleanian, I really want to thank you for helping mentor Cedric because he, he looks like he's doing quite well. And I, I, I think that young man has a, a, a real future in the Democratic Party. And I know it's a large part of the fact that you've helped him along his way. So
1: we thank you. Well, thank you very much for sending him. I, I got with him even, uh, you know, the first time he went out, he lost. I uh, went down to New Orleans and sat down with him. That's my Cedric, don't you drop out of this politics. You stay engaged. Uh, I think that you've got a great future. Well, two years later, he got elected, uh, and he is now co the presidential campaign. He has a great future, and I'm so pleased to have been a part of it. And, and I hope uh, that the people of, uh, of Louisiana uh, keep sending them up here for as long as he cares uh, to run.
2: I think he's got real, real broad support, sir. I, I, I really do. And I, we're all, you know, terribly proud of him and terribly appreciative that you were able to mentor him and, you know, make him into effective political figure he is today. And I, I just can't thank you enough for coming on our show. It, it's a big honor well, to
1: thank have Thank you. you so much for having me. Yes, sir. Thank you. I enjoy both of you guys. Knowing Al yeah. a long time, he won't tell you how long I've known him.
0: Yes, sir. Jim Clyburn, thank you. You'll always be our kingmaker. Okay, Thank you, sir.
1: Thank you, guys. Okay, bye. Bye Bye-bye. All
0: right, James, let's do a little convention talk. I'm first going to be uh, honest. Uh, I don't watch much of it. I watch other things. I did watch uh, Michelle Obama's extraordinary uh, speech on uh, Monday night. Uh, I thought Jill jill biden just radiated authenticity on tuesday jim Clyburn has captured what kamala is and i think you know, it'll be interesting to watch joe biden on thursday night i think they're doing as well as could be done with the convention it's more of an entertainment show with sometimes with um with the uh, starlets as the mcs um I, the one thing i did catch which i thought the only thing i caught which i thought didn't work was the 17 people uh, all being the keynote speakers it was a little bit schmaltzy but i think the democrats that any ruptures are uh, have either been healed or they're not apparent and uh yeah i I think they're gonna they're gonna come out of this thing in as good if not stronger shape than they went in and that's all you can ask for in a convention
2: it is uh, look uh, the first time you do something you always go uh, the encouraging thing is i think tuesday night was better than monday night I watch it a little bit more than you, not after, but, you know, because you've got to comment on it after. But but I've been in every Democratic convention since 84, and they're actually can, can, can be kind of fun, particularly, you know, I mean, you get to see everybody and, you know, it's a kind of gathering of, of you know, it's a political version of Mardi Gras.
0: I want to add to that because I want to pick up a chip. Yeah, it's that, and that's great. But I think it's more important than that. Actually, uh, dentists have conventions every year. Journalists have conventions uh, every year. I think the idea of politicians from all over the country getting together uh, to nominate a president is a really good thing. They can talk to each other. They can, you know, talk shop. They can get to know different people. And uh, yeah, I, I I think we went far too. We went. Yeah, you know, we just went overboard with the parties and the money and, uh, the balloons and all that. But I like the idea. It doesn't have to be four days. It shouldn't be. Maybe Jim Clyburn's right. It should be over weekend. Uh, and I, I'll tell you something else very parochially. It's very good for journalists. It's a chance to meet and talk to uh, people in that kind of an environment. And I have people that I met at conventions, James, I hate to say this back in the seventies who I still hear from,
2: you know, some things, in life that everybody on both sides everything they say is true all right yep. they have become expensive they have become boring they have become predictable all that's true and, and they're also if you're a, a delegate but you you notice when you sign up it, it, it's kind of expensive i mean you put something into it but it, 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 it just, it, if anything, it's just a chance every four years for people to have a sim, similar ideology and a similar involvement in politics to get together. And I think it produces, I understand all the arguments against it and they're all valid and maybe we should shorten them yeah or, or, or do whatever. But on the whole, I, I still wish i was in milwaukee
0: yeah i do too i also regret it because i think milwaukee's a really interesting town and it's a shame they haven't gotten a chance to showcase i'm i'm i would bet i would bet you know a whole bunch of money that the convention will be in milwaukee in 2024 uh but i think you're right uh i think they ought to be publicly financed uh i think nancy pelosi has suggested that republican and democrat shortened not nearly as expensive uh you don't have to make it the great television extravaganza I think the educational factor has been exaggerated, uh, and we're not going to go. I mean, I went to my second or third convention was 76, where you went in there, the Republicans not knowing who was going to be the nominee. That was really exciting. We're not going to replicate that probably. But your point is right. I mean, to let people from Oregon spend some time with some other city councilors or other state reps uh, from uh, Alabama is a good thing. And uh, let's hope we go back to it
2: look this is my proposal i'll throw it out for for as well it never happened but yeah i would have them publicly funded and i would have them in the same city because it would save a lot of money right in the city i would have it in is las vegas and the only argument against las vegas is blistering hot in august but the argument for it is they have more capacity than you can imagine the prices are really, really cheap that time of year. They would kick in a lot of money to have, you know, that many tourists come in the city, particularly if you had the Democratic and Republican convention. You can, you know, you can build the same podium and you give them, you know, you have a weak difference between the two and they can put whatever banners of bunning that they want to fit their particular party. But that that why wouldn't we do that? And in that way, journalists and TV would all set up and it would be cheaper for the the networks. It'd be cheaper for everybody. And and, of course, you and I have said this a thousand times. You don't get any votes in Wisconsin for being in Milwaukee. And no one can call you the San Francisco Democrats. Everybody's in the same place. And plus you're in, you know, the Pacific time zone, which really makes it fun at conventions because you're out at, you're done by... Eight thirty, nine o'clock.
0: I agree with that, and also the other the other bonuses we can check and see which politicians go visit Oscar Goodman's mob museum uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, so well, yeah. I I uh, you yeah. know, I I'll, I think I'm not sure with the venue, but I'm but but I can be persuaded. Let's um, you know we're gonna have another show this week. We hope, and we're gonna have uh, Michael Bennett, oh, a member you. of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Just in two or three minutes, James. That, you know, we could talk to someone who really knows about it later, but that is a devastating report. It advanced where Mueller was, it advanced things we knew. It is quite clear that uh, the, you can argue over the definition of collusion. If that's not collusion, I don't know what is, but clearly they had extensive contacts with Russian intelligence now. Uh, Roger Stone clearly knew uh, in advance some things that were gonna occur uh, Manafort was talking to a uh, a GRU guy. Uh, it's just it's it's incredible.
2: Look, you can say like you have a 360 degree drawing, and you know from that that's established. You know from the center of that drawing, to at any point, is 3.14 squared or whatever pi r squared, right? Mm-hmm. And The Democrats, well, everybody agrees on that's the we agree on the facts, and the Democrats say that's a circle, and the Republicans say there's no evidence that that's a circle. Well, it's a circular thing; it has the radius computes with what a circle is. What the hell
0: is it? I mean, it don't, if it looks if it looks like a circle, and if it shapes like it's a circle, circle, and it, it draws like a circle, like it,
2: it's a goddamn circle.
0: Yeah. What are we
2: arguing yeah. about? And I, the other thing, and I, I say this: the Mull investigation. And if I had one criticism, and I'm sure it's gonna tell us why. No one. The first thing you learn when you're in the fourth grade and you're watching Columbo or whatever you were back. Whenever Jack Webb, follow the money. Follow the money. It neither Mueller, or the Senate Investigating Committee, looked into financial conflicts that Trump may or may not have in Russia. And I mean, that's like you know, wife gets shot, and oh, you know, you know, you, first thing you can look up for is a boyfriend. life insurance
0: well i i you know you hear people i've heard it this week say yeah it's awful but it's not going to make any difference and they say the same thing about john kasich and the lincoln brigade and cindy mccain and the bulwark yeah but it doesn't make any difference uh and you know we can go back to access hollywood during the campaign you know something after a while there's accumulation and the accumulation does make a difference and i think trump is in terrible trouble primarily because he's governed so incredibly badly uh but i think that this is just added to it and it makes it it makes it much much harder if not impossible for him to ever come back
2: most of the people that say that it makes no difference are people that want the democratic party to be a cult right that, that's just there is a great divide in this party and, and, and the divide is this There are people that say we should be a deep-rooted cult or ideological cult with values that we will never compromise on. And that way, and there are other people like me that say, we're part of a coalition and we got to welcome, and of course, the coalition is going to shift. It's going to change. You know, and there's no evidence that these anti-Trumpers are in this for any financial motive. They're not going to be. They're not going to be the lobbyists. I mean, Rick Wilson or Bill crystal you know, a Tim Miller or Charlie Sykes. They're not setting up, you know, Potomac strategies after oh, this.
0: Oh, oh, I'd go further than that. I would say they basically have doomed their presence in the Republican Party because right. I think the haters are going to continue to play a huge role. The Trump people and they are going to be so. I think, and I think they know this. Uh, so I think what they the do. Charlie Sykes of the world are doing. I, I really do. I don't mean to sound naive, but they are doing this out of principle, not uh, out I, of uh, that is personal clear, pursuit. That is clear to
2: everyone. And,
0: Except Marco Rubio. Yeah.
2: You know, look, that guy's got, he's going to have a Senate race in 2022. I mean, he really is. But the question is, we've got to figure out, uh, uh, you know, who's the best. You know, we've got to be, Democrats have got to be smart. In, in selecting a candidate who can beat Rubio. By the way, one, on, a, on another note of, of some importance, as you know, I've been very big on this Alaska Senate race. You have been. The far right had a big night last night in the primaries. They, they unseated the Senate majority leader. And I would, and if I also been, one of the reasons I've been very big on this is the AIP, the Alaska Independence Party. And, you know, Al Gross, Who's the independent caucus of Democrats? I think Angus King. It'd be hard for him to get to fifty, but, but but he can sure get to forty-seven, and that that might that might spell bingo up there. It really, might. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, well, you know, there, there's a pattern uh, in in these primaries over the last four or five months. In the House race in Colorado, House race in Georgia, House race this week uh, in Florida. Uh, these are the you know the crazy Alex Jones types who are winning. And uh, yeah, it may only be five, six, seven, eight, whatever have you, but they're being embraced by Kevin McCarthy and the party. And uh, I think that makes them legitimate issues in the fall.
2: Yeah, I just. Go back I mean, let me here. put
0: it this way. If the Democrats had nominated uh, a bunch of serious congressional candidates who were, I uh, just uh, you know finished a book on Joe McCarthy, who were communists to uh, uh, go back to the past, you can bet, you can bet the Republicans would be making the big issue out oh, of
2: it. So, I, you know, I, it's just hard to, like, express admiration you have for Jim Clyburn. I mean, just what he's accomplished in his life and just his sort of judiciousness, his kind of grace, just his kind of unified view of the world. It's, it's really, a, you think about the struggles that he's had, it's really remarkable to get a chance there who's at the zenith of his power and respect to, to get a guy like that and spend a good, you know, 25, 30 minutes with him. It was, it was just a big honor. One of my favorite shows we've ever done.
0: Well, he's a, he is a, a great politician and a really gentle man uh, in the best sense of that term. James, there was a flap about, let me just, before we go, about three or four months ago, uh, some people in the Biden campaign, his daughter, as, as I remember it, you know, also who we yeah. was talking about, uh, runs a super PAC, which supports Democratic candidates. And there was a big flap of whether she was being cut out of the Biden campaign. Do you know if that's ever been resolved?
2: I, I, I think it must have, yeah. It, it, it was like the Postal Service, all right? This was not going to stand. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And yeah. I
2: think it, I, I'm sure that it, it got, there's it one of these issues that got resolved to everybody's satisfaction. Good. You know, good. But if Jim Clive calls me and I'm in a Biden campaign, I said, yes, sir. What am I saying yes to today?
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay, more that's than more than, yeah. more than anybody else uh, in that party, you know, with the exception, maybe of Barack Obama. But that's it. All right. Listen, um, this I agree. It's been a good show. We hope we'll be back again on Friday uh, for another one. Uh, I think we
2: will. Well,
0: James, really for 48 cool. hours. That's all. 48 hours or time. I want you to stay safe. And I want to thank everybody for listening to 2020 Politics War Room. Follow the show on Twitter at Politics War Room. Uh, Email us at Politics War Room at gmail.com. That's Politics War Room at gmail.com. Thank you for subscribing. Please rate us, hope, with a five star review. And we'll be back on Friday with another really, really fantastic guest. Hey, thanks. All right.